Welcome to the Digital Solicitor podcast in celebration of International Women's Day with me, Christina Grasco. I want to take the opportunity today to look at some of the issues that women face when they enter the legal profession and hopefully inspire anyone listening who faces them to find the strength and support to overcome them. I can think of nobody better to help me with this than my guest Jodie Hill, who is the managing partner of the multi-award winning Thrive Law based in Leeds. Jodie trained as a barrister, cross-qualified as a solicitor, and has specialised in employment law throughout her career. She also founded Thrive Wellbeing in Lockdown One, which is an online tech platform to support businesses. It provides mental health champion training and a toolkit to help managers to support their teams with mental health initiatives. All of this is a reflection of the tough times that Jodie faced herself to get into this professional space. So a very warm welcome, Jodie, and thank you for being here today. No, good, no, thank you for having me. Good to be here. My first question is, what interested you in law? Why did you get into this industry? Nobody in my family had ever done law, so I'm not the traditional route into law. But actually, when I was when I was at school, I did some work experience and I really quickly fell in love with the law and I really wanted to give people a voice. I felt that the when I did the work experience, it was generally people who were quite vulnerable and quite scared and giving people a voice both legally, but also listening to their problems and actually finding solutions for them to help them get through what is what can be an incredibly difficult time. You say that you didn't take the traditional route, it wasn't in your family. So did that give you extra challenges when you were studying to become a lawyer? Yeah, it was it was actually really difficult because I was the first person in my family to even get GCSEs, let alone A-levels or um, have a, a career. My granddad was a minor. Um, my grandma had like lots of different jobs and they had a really big role in my upbringing. I did get a scholarship to go to boarding school. But then after that, it was kind of, you know, you've got that really great support network, but then that stops. Mm-hmm. So getting work experience was really, really difficult. Um, obviously, I didn't have like my parents or, or anybody else to kind of call upon, but it just made me more determined and I just thought well you know I'm I'm just going to try and see what happens but actually as you said I I trained as a barrister to start with so I just went to court a lot I I messaged barristers chambers and was just really persistent and I think that proactiveness and that persistence was what got me through the door on many occasions. Was that daunting to do that because you must have been going from pretty much a cold start really if if you didn't if you didn't have the contacts into chambers which is I think the reason why a lot of us didn't actually go to the bar because of that lack of contact massively and yes I, I I agree it was definitely something that was way outside my comfort zone but I knew I wanted to to practice law and I wanted to be in court and so that's why I went down the barrister route originally but it did help that I, whilst I was at university I did a work placement with Leeds Beckett so as part of my degree I did one day a week in practice and so I started to get experience on actual cases on a regular basis and I found that really helped me in the interviews because it was practical experience that I could refer to mm-hmm. rather than work experience often you just get given like photocopying or you just get sat watching something because I was there on a consistent basis it really did help me and then I just I self-funded the whole thing so I had three jobs and volunteered whilst doing my degree so that was a challenge as well and I think you know it's certainly something that people still struggle with given the the cost of the fees and I think you know the routes like apprenticeships are really helpful to, to help those individuals who probably if I'd have had the option to go for an apprenticeship I probably would have but that wasn't available when, when I qualified. Who supported you through that process? Where did you get your motivation from? 
I supported myself really um I didn't really have a massive support network when I was at uni so yeah I, I pretty much supported myself through it I had role models such as Lady Hale who I've just always looked up to complete inspiration especially because she's from Richmond and I actually went to school in Richmond yeah that there have been role models that you kind of aspire to be like but nobody physically there at that stage now I have mentors and support in growing thrive and growing the business but at that time didn't really know much about coaching mentoring and the support that was available I do think there's a lot more support available now mm. um, and certainly women in the law UK who I'm an ambassador for I don't know if you know Sally Penny she does loads of amazing support and networking events for students and for law graduates and for junior lawyers and I think that's really important that people get involved in that type of work because not only do you grow a network in your own peer, peer level you also can get access to more senior lawyers who might then want to mentor you um, which is something that I wish I'd done when I was younger or, or wish I knew about I'm not even sure if it was available <laughs> You then made the decision to cross over and become a solicitor. What drove that decision? A couple of things, really. In in all honesty, um, the the driving force was finance finances. Um, I bought a house in Leeds, and the pupillage I got offered in London was on twelve grand a year. Now, being from a working class background and having massive debt, and just bought a house, it was it was just impossible for me to take the pupillage. So the firm that I was working in actually offered to cross qualify me. It's a similar process in terms of the two years experience. So I just did the exam and cross qualified. But the other reason was I wanted to be an employment barrister. Now, as an employment solicitor, I can still do the barrister stuff. Mm-hmm. So what it meant was actually. I, I didn't feel like I was moving away from what I wanted to do because I could still do the advocacy. I can still do the opinions and the conferences that I would ordinarily have done mm. as a barrister. But actually, I got some more one-on-one time with clients and actually, you know, got to run the case right from the beginning. So I saw it as a positive step, albeit not the direction I'd planned, but actually it was the right thing to do. And because if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have set my firm up. You know, every everything had its place at the right time. But it highlights a real issue at the bar, I think, in that had I have got some form of financial support I would have been able to afford to go to London but I just didn't have that and the, what they pay you for a pupillage is so low in most chambers obviously there are some that pay a lot more but you know it's not even minimum wage in some chambers once you've paid your expenses and it's a really difficult time at the bar I think and actually I've um, got a lot of you know respect for the barristers kind of pushing through and, and getting those pupillages and, and, and smashing it because it's, it is difficult it's really difficult. Did you feel at any stage the disadvantage of being a woman in this environment, in the training environment? Yeah, there's certainly there's certainly a lot of it about in chambers, definitely. So it just overhearing conversations that were definitely not meant for my ears, definitely discriminatory and just old school ways of thinking and that old boys club. And I, I, I think I found that more so in my work experience in chambers, because, but that's probably because it's more there are more men that I came across. When I was in practice, you find that most of the junior lawyers that I was doing work experience with were women. So again, it depends kind of who you're with and, and, and obviously the type of set that they're in and the type of firm. But yeah, I do think there is still a, a huge issue, if I'm honest. I think, I, I mean, I get approached an awful lot on social media about young women in firms who feel they can't do what they want to do within the firm for fear of progression, uh, fear of lack of progression, should I say. And that's partly because of the way that the male partners treat the women 
women and particularly the good looking women. And I feel like that's a really, it's just awful. And some of the comments, I mean, I've been mentoring some students through Instagram and LinkedIn and some of the comments that they've had to deal with, I mean, they're absolutely disgusting. And I think it's really difficult because they're either about to become a trainee or they're a trainee and they don't want to jeopardize their position in the firm. And so what we find is that 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 abuse of power is still happening. And I'm sure it happens for other reasons as well. But obviously my experience is people do come to me and speak about that. Um, And I've had negative experiences, you know, groping and calling names and all sorts of stuff. And it's just really inappropriate. And and I think, you know, the more people, the more we talk about it and say, actually, this is this is not okay, the more confidence people will have to stand up when it does actually happen to them in the workplace. And, you know, we've had things like the Me Too campaign, which obviously helped those conversations. But I I, I do think the reality is that power shift needs to change or, or something needs to change around the trainee. It's that trainee level. It doesn't stop after that, but I think they're almost powerless because they don't feel they can talk to anyone or for any support at that stage. I think there's a there's always a difficulty in that people, women who've been in the firm for a while who went through that as well can be remarkably resistant to talking about it and helping the trainees coming through. You're right, the power balance is very, very awkward. And I'm not sure it shifts too much. It becomes ingrained at the trainee period, perhaps. I think so. And I and I also find that opponents can sometimes do that. I Even with my own firm now, I still get um, men of a certain age who will write to me like I'm a little girl or speak to me like I'm a little girl. And they and they honestly, it's very condescending and misogynistic. And that these are like, you know, established partners in firms and it mm-hmm. still happens and I can see it. And that's me as, an, as a managing partner. So you can imagine how a junior would feel. I mean, I can, I've learned to become quite thick skinned with it. It still happens at whatever level you're at. And I think you're right. It, is ingrained in people unfortunately it's a culture in many firms and and that's really what we need to encourage people to move away from and stand up stand up and actually say do you know what that's not that's not okay you know and and work and, and work with and support people who are going through that difficult time because it has a really adverse impact on mental health and obviously the confidence of that individual as they progress um, so it's not beneficial for the firm for that individual to be feeling that way because they're not going to be productive if they're worried about being harassed at work. Yeah, but I wonder if firms have, have made the connection yet. I think we've, we've started a conversation, haven't we, publicly about mental health. And, and one of the few good things to come out of the pandemic, I think, has been there has had to be an openness across all businesses and all firms about mental health because now that is the currency, isn't it? If, you, if your business is going to survive, let alone thrive from here on in, then the currency is the care and health of your employees, your staff, your colleagues. But do you think that the conversation is yet broad enough to encompass that key fact that, that if the balance of power isn't right, then the performance levels can never be good? I don't, I'm not sure it is yet. I think there's a lot of work still to do. And I think people are still very much in crisis mode because of lockdown and because of the continued uh, restrictions. So I think there's a long way to go. I do think the conversation is open, but I don't think a lot of, I think there are a lot of firms doing some great stuff around mental health and you've got charities like Lawcare who do amazing things. But I think unless you've got that from the top and you've got, you know, from the top down, you've got leaders putting themselves in a vulnerable position and saying, look, this is me. This is how I've struggled with my mental health or these are the struggles I've had. Until you've got that I don't think people can see a role model within firms so they need to have that within a law firm and often as we know I think it's about 16% of equity partners are are women only 16 so you know there's less role models for people to look at if you're a woman so again that's an issue that needs to be addressed because if it's not addressed then people go elsewhere and that's why we see a lot of young women setting up their own firms because Mm -hmm. they don't see a role model in the firm that they're at. Is that why you set up your firm? 
partly there weren't any female partners in the firm I was at before, but it was also because I actually had a mental breakdown. I was really, really unwell, very open about what happened because actually that whole process was all about, for me, a bit of self-discovery and I call it my breakthrough now. Whilst it was the most awful year of my life, I at the end of that year, I set up a law firm. Who does that? <laughs> and I suppose the, re- the reason why I did it was because I, I was looking, I was being interviewed, I was being offered jobs at firms and I was thinking... But none of these actually do what I want them to do or be or, or share the values that I want them to share. And I, I felt as though I was putting myself in a potentially risky situation going back into another firm that could be basically putting me back in the position of having a breakdown. So part of it was from a selfish reason to put myself in a safe place to grow and recover. But also it was to provide a place of work which has diversity and inclusion at the core of everything we do, puts well-being and mental health to the top of the business agenda, but also is truly authentic in everything we do as well. And I find that a lot of companies and firms will say they do something and then don't do it. So it's that, for me, it was about practicing what I preach and building it from the ground up. So the company is very much my values and my passion and and who I want to be Um, and then I've attracted like-minded individuals from top 100 firms from global firms in London to come and join me so we have grown we set up three years ago next week or week after and we've now got a team of like 11 I think so it's going well and we're attracting some great clients and I think that is another reason why I enjoy doing what I do at Thrive is I can work with clients who share my values, who want to support their staff, who care about being a trans ally, um, you know, for LGBTQ plus, mm-hmm. or there's loads of stuff that we do around DNI that's not just law. Mm-hmm. And that's really what Thrive's about. It's more about the added value that we can provide to businesses and, and to employees. We represent both in supporting them through whatever issue they've got, whether it's an employment or a HR matter. What is the core principle? Is it still, for you, is it still giving people a voice or is it beyond that now? Is it it very much the mental health piece as well? Yeah, so for me, the the focus this year is really putting mental health at the top of the agenda. That was the focus when I started Thrive. Um, I've campaigned the government on several occasions, got things debated in Parliament, meeting an MP uh, next week to talk about another campaign that I'm running. I I really am passionate about making this a normal conversation in workplaces. We need to move away from all mental health at work to like we have a bad back I, you know I've got anxiety and we really need to normalize that so part of that mission was I launched um, This Is Me in October which is a, a business-led charity campaign and essentially is what I was just talking about is having business leaders sharing their story on videos within the workplace and really just showing that that vulnerability means that you, you can you can still get to the top and you can still progress and it just empowers people um, so I do a lot of stuff outside of Thrive um, but all of that feeds into the type of work that we do and I think the other thing is that the work that we do also in the advice and the employment advice we've always got in our minds the diversity inclusion and mental health aspects mm-hmm. so you know an example might be if someone you know turns up to work drunk and the employer are going that's outrageous let's sack them and we'll talk to them about well actually you know what's the reason is could it be a mental health problem and you know looking more holistically about solutions rather than jump you know kind of being hired guns which I don't I never liked being the hired gun so that gives you know that gives us the ability to do that and educate employers as well so it has a wider impact 
impact than just simply being a law firm. I think so. And it is clear if you talk to the Law Society, it's very clear from their stats that they know that a lot of partners, and particularly male partners actually, are struggling badly with mental health because they don't talk about it. They don't have that sense of vulnerability because they feel the responsibility is on them all the time. And so part of the reaction against talking about it is because I think they fear showing their own weakness. For me, that's the key problem. We still see it as a weakness. It isn't. It's about being human, isn't it? It's also a strength. If you're strong enough and brave enough to to be that vulnerable and tell people about your worst time, then that to me shows strength and it shows leadership. And actually, you know, having that vulnerability as part of your leadership can really empower your staff. That's one of the reasons why people have joined Thrive is that they feel they can be them true, their true selves. And, you know, that's showing me that, that what, what I'm doing is working and it's amazing. And I never thought it would, you know, have so much imposter syndrome and self-doubt about it. You know what it's like for us women. But also, you know, I've got anxiety and, and la- actually last um, lockdown, I was diagnosed with ADHD. So I've been on a real journey mm. um, over the past three years from having a breakdown to kind of getting through that, coming off medication, then being diagnosed with ADHD, starting new medication all through a lockdown. So it has been a complete whirlwind. But you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way because the impact that we're having and the, the kind of waves that are being made in the legal sector are really positive at the moment. Um, so, you know, we've been speaking to some of the biggest firms in, in the world talking about the work that we're doing. And actually, that's really exciting that we can share those best practices and that's that's what firms should do I know the SRA have run a, a mentoring scheme and they asked um, me to mentor another firm and again you know that's what firms should be doing we should be supporting each other we're not in competition we can share best practices on how to support our our legal profession and see it as a profession rather than competitors and I think that's really where the profession needs to go are you hanging on to your own mental health throughout all of this do you find yourself falling into the trap of trying to be strong for everybody else and then suddenly cannoning down so that can happen. And I think what I've certainly done, and, and I know I've, I've encouraged within my team, is really looking at what I need to put in place in terms of coping mechanisms and routine. Especially when we went into lockdown, that threw me off my routine. So I had to recalibrate everything. And, and that took a bit of time um, because we were in crisis mode, you know, and that was, as everyone says, unprecedented. But it, but it was, and it was very, very difficult. But equally, um, part of this journey, you know, I've had anxiety for as long as I can remember and I've had a lot of therapy so what I know is how to to deal with that and how how and when I need to put things in place and and actually for me the morning routine and making sure I get up and do have my time in the morning um, for me which I think we never do as women we're kind of looking after everybody else but it's really important to have that time and I've massively up yoga and meditation making that time being really organized and actually being really open and, and if I'm struggling I tell my team I'm actually really open about it. And yes, okay, the majority of the time I I am strong and, you know, I I crack on with things. But if I am really struggling, I do tell them and I encourage them to tell me. And that's that's created a really open dialogue between every single member of my team and me who know they can pick the phone up to me and speak to me personally if they're struggling. And I think that's that's really what's strengthened our team throughout lockdown is that we have that ability to be so open. Um, especially for junior lawyers as well. I know that um, a lot of firms haven't really known what to do with junior lawyers because they're working remotely and they don't really want to ring a partner and say, I'm struggling with anxiety. So having those open methods of communication, even if it's not a partner, mm-hmm. make sure it's really clear who they can speak to, what support they've got, and that they, they are still supervised because it's scary for them. They're used to you know working in an office and absorbing everything for osmosis. And now they're at home on their own, potentially working with lots of other people in a room who are all housemates doing different things it's really important that uh, 
um, we adapt and we flex and we innovate um, as, as lawyers, especially when it comes to supporting our uh, junior team. Obviously, the whole team, but the junior team um, are obviously the ones that need the most support because they are the least experienced and, and, and probably the least confident often mm-hmm. as well. What's next for you? We've just finalised our our strategy and our goals for this year. And a lot of it is more of the same. We've just taken on a new associate yesterday. So really embedding her into the organisation, reaching more businesses and expanding the the access to the Thrive Wellbeing platform that you talked about and the HR support. Because what we really want to do is, is develop a really strong relationship. So moving away from hourly rates, focusing on fixed fee retained work with clients where we really become part of their organization, part of their growth. Um, so they feel they can be open and honest with us, but also we can support them to grow their team through all the employment law stuff, but obviously the DNI area as well. And what do you think needs to be done next by the legal community to properly support diversity within the profession? I mean, obviously the, the focus of this conversation is International Women's Day, but I think that has to encompass all types of diversity because we're clearly at a very important crossroads at the moment and there's a lot of polarisation going on. So what can the community do? What can the profession do? So I think the starting point really is to evaluate your culture, um, look at whether or not they've got role models within the workplace and look at what they're already doing and are people mm-hmm. using it. Um, often firms do things and, not, and it's not used, but they don't really know it's not being used. So actually assessing what you're already doing and, and, and almost just taking stock. We're championing DNI through being authentic and having genuine conversations with people and promoting that as part of everything that we do. So if you really do care about diversity and inclusion as a firm, you don't need to wait until you've got a massive budget there are small changes that you can make um, and really just start to even even if it's the smallest thing start the process make those small changes and it's the consistency piece that will win always and you know especially junior lawyers now are really looking for firms with values that match their actions Um, and what we're finding is you know firms will say one thing and then do another and that really damages their reputation so really be mindful about what you're saying you do and make sure that really fits with your values and your actions and I think you know if if anyone um, wanted to ever chat to me about stuff what, what we've done I'd be more than happy to have chats with people and obviously the SRA run the mentoring schemes every year so if you really want to ramp it up you can partner with a firm and there's loads of loads of us that do it from Clifford Chance to Eversheds to to thrive and I think in fact I think we're the only small firm on there but there are lots of big firms obviously they've got bigger departments that can support it Um, but look out for things like that because there's lots of free stuff out there the law society do loads of work Uh, one of my teams on the lgbtq plus committee they have a podcast going out on all all areas around lgbtq plus and we also have loads of guides and things so I know the law society did a guide maybe two years ago for managers and employers in law firms around mental health Mm -hmm. free guide download it check that your team are working in that way look at your culture there's absolutely loads i could literally talk for hours but there's loads of stuff on our website so if people want um loads of, if, if you want some free guidance then it's all on there brilliant i think that's a really good place to close the conversation other than to say thank you very much for being here today i'm wishing you lots of luck as well i think the initiatives the things that you're doing and and the approach that you're taking is utterly essential so more strength to your elbow and that winds up today's podcast if you have any questions arising out of today's conversation, then please contact us at digitalsolicitor at leap.co.uk. So until the next time we meet, stay well, take care, and thank you for listening to the Digital Solicitor Podcast. Mm-hmm.